4: Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, fighting sex trafficking in Mississippi.
5: These young girls, in many cases, are used as prostitutes. They get set up in hotels, and so part of the trick is to make an individual think that he's coming to meet a young woman or a young girl.
4: Raiding Mississippi cities on LGBT rights. A health minute from Dr. Rick DeShazo on hair loss and living with and overcoming breast cancer. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. to help rescue juveniles forced into sex slavery in Mississippi has put 28 adults in jail. That's according to the FBI. Agents call the two-day undercover rescue effort Operation Cross Country. The FBI, in cooperation with state and local law enforcement, staked out locations in Jackson, Ridgeland, and South Haven to rescue juvenile prostitutes. FBI Assistant Special Agent in Charge Luis Casada tells MPB's Desiree Frazier it's a good sign no underage victims were found but officials are constantly looking for leads
0: effort a multi jurisdictional effort nationwide between the fbi and their local partners addressing one of the most egregious crimes which is child sex slavery in our country and focusing intelligence on outside of our country
6: but you didn't find any children this time
0: well, I think here in Mississippi, that was a good sign that we didn't uh, find anybody. However, we are always consistently moving forward and using other methods of investigation other than these things to try to identify individuals who are involved in this egregious crimes.
6: So what would you say to people if they heard, okay, they made some arrests, but none of them were children? So what is the significance?
0: Well, significance is that we addressed, uh, we assisted the local jurisdictions with the problem that they enforced prostitution laws. Secondly, I think of, of, of enormous was we, re, we actually recovered during this operation an individual who had a loaded AK-47 on the passenger seat of his vehicle, plus two pistols. Nothing good could come out of that. So taking those weapons off the street, to me, was a win that night.
6: Who was involved in this?
0: Well, we got the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, Mississippi Attorney General's Office, the Mississippi Department of Corrections, Jackson Police Department, Ridgeland Police Department, Madison County, Sheriff's Office, Madison Police Department, and South Haven Police Department.
6: And this was over two days? Yes, ma'am. October 13th and 14th? Yeah,
0: Thursday and Friday night.
6: What do you do on those days?
0: Well, we set up these stings uh, and uh officers are on sites, which in this case were hotel sites. One in Ridgeon, one in Jackson, one in South Haven. And from there they set up the sting by reaching out to these uh potential uh subjects. Johns? No, these are the uh, prostitutes. In this case, the undercovers are the Johns calling for the prostitutes in hope of catching and identifying a, uh, a juvenile.
6: Are you more concerned about catching the prostitutes or catching the pimps or both?
0: Well... For the FBI, our focus is really to, to recover juveniles. That's what we want to see. If, there, if any arrest, even of an adult, leads us to further intelligence or leads us down the road to be able to identify anybody who's trafficking juveniles, that's what we want. We want the organization. So really, it's the total uh, aspect of the investigation. You never know what will lead you there, whether it be a pimp, whether it be a, one of the adult prostitutes that's aware of something and can give us some, shed more light on this.
6: And um, you mentioned um, there were 28 arrests
0: this year. Mississippi, 28 arrests.
6: It was done other places as well.
0: Yes, nationwide. And there were 82 juveniles who were rescued nationally throughout the U.S. Those two days, and 239 other persons were arrested, which included prostitutes, adults, and uh, pimps.
4: M.P.B.'s Desiree Fraser with FBI Assistant Special Agent in Charge Luis Casada. During the sting operation, authorities charged 22 adults with prostitution, five for being pimps, and one for violating drug laws. Jackson Police Chief Lee Vance tells Desiree Frazier interagency cooperation combined with basic police work makes stings like Operation Cross Country successful.
5: You know, when you go after a certain type of criminal, you develop a plan that's going to help you be successful in doing that. So I don't like to give away too many strategic tactics that we use but I believe it was very fruitful. Uh, Prostitution is a dirty business, and especially when you uh, force or lure children into it. And just because we didn't recover any children here this year, actually that's somewhat of a blessing that might mean that we're actually winning this battle, at least this year. And individuals that are... Uh, that get into this lifestyle, obviously they don't have any concern about the people that they use or their victims. So just because we didn't catch them with children this time doesn't mean they don't deal with children. So I think overall this represents a successful effort, and again, it's something that's ongoing.
6: And so when you um, set out to do this, what were you looking for specifically in terms of were you looking for pimp sending Prostitutes out, um, young men prostituting. What was your focus?
5: Basically, the way it works now is that through like social media and other methods similar to that, uh, these young girls, in many cases, are used as prostitutes, uh, and they sit, they they get set up in hotels. And so, part of the trick is to make an individual think that he's coming to meet a young woman or a young girl, and that's how you find those individuals that are uh, susceptible to that type of thing, and also that's how you, by, by identifying these individuals through surveillance, through intelligence, you're able to find out who it is that are, that's playing the pimp role. So it's somewhat of a complicated operation, but that's how we go about basically targeting these people.
4: MPB's Desiree Frazier with Jackson Police Chief Lee Vance on Operation Cross Country, a two-day sting operation to fight underage sex trafficking. Up next, raiding Mississippi cities on LGBT rights. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: In three California cities, voters are being asked to add a tax to sugary drinks. And Big Soda is spending heavily for no votes.
2: At the end of the day, this is a money grab, plain and simple.
1: The tobacco industry playbook has been adopted in its entirety by the sugar drink industry.
3: I'm Kelly McEvers. The soda tax fight later on All Things Considered from NPR News.
5: Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio.
1: The attacks have been personal and at times surprising. I think it's disgraceful and I think she should be ashamed of herself if you want to know the truth.
6: Anything to avoid talking about your campaign and the way it's exploding and the way Republicans are leaving you.
1: Clinton and Trump debate for a third and final time. Will they sway voters when they meet in Las Vegas? I'm Robert Siegel. Join me today for special coverage of the final presidential debate from NPR News. Tonight at 8 on MPB Think Radio.
4: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Many of Mississippi's cities are not doing enough to promote gay and transgender equality. That's according to the Municipal Equality Index, an annual report published by the Human Rights Campaign. The report examines what cities across the country are doing to promote lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender-inclusive laws and policies. Catherine Oakley is the report's author. She tells MPB's Paul Boger many Mississippi municipalities could do more to prevent possible discrimination.
7: The Municipal Equality Index is the only uh, one of its kind um, nationwide evaluation of LGBTQ inclusion in municipal law and policy. So what that means is that we look at cities across the country. This year is our fifth edition and we rated 506 cities. Um, And we look at each of these cities and their laws and policies and the services that they offer. Um, And we we assess those on how inclusive they are of LGBTQ people.
2: So what are some of the things you look at?
7: So we look at uh, more than forty different criteria, but those fall into a couple major categories. We look at non-discrimination protections, so whether a city has non, a non-discrimination ordinance. We look at the way the city treats its own employees, so what kinds of policies and benefits they offer and, and whether or not those policies and benefits are inclusive of LGBT people. Um, we also look at uh, municipal services and the kinds of services that the city offers um, that are related to LGBT issues and how inclusive those, in fact, are. We also look at law enforcement and then finally, We look at leadership on LGBT equality. So what are the leaders of the city saying and doing when it comes to LGBT equality?
2: So I know this is just for municipalities in particular, but as a whole, how did Mississippi do?
7: Well, the average score um, on, of all 506 cities rated across the country, the average score was 55 points. Um, in Mississippi, the average score was 17 points. So it was quite a bit lower. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I would say that the vast majority of the cities that we rated in Mississippi um, really did not do very well, um, with the notable exception of Jackson, which scored 71 out of 100 points.
2: So what were some of the things that led to that low score?
7: Well, you know, the kinds of things that we're looking at are things that, you know, to some extent, many cities um, already have. So one of the things that we look at is whether or not a city has a human rights commission. Even if that commission isn't specifically tasked with working on LGBT equality, having a commission that's looking at civil rights, human rights, is a good thing for the city. Um, and it's a good thing for everybody. And so that's one of the things that oftentimes cities will have already, even if they haven't done a lot of work on LGBTQ issues. However, <laughs> there are lots of other things where truly cities do have to have um, a certain amount of focus and have need to have put in a certain amount of energy into uh, making sure that their LGBTQ citizens are protected. Um, We want to make sure that everybody who lives in the city, works in the city, visits the city, um, is able to spend their time in the city um, without fear of being discriminated against on the basis of their sexual orientation, gender identity. And that is uh, not something that the vast majority of the cities that we rated in Mississippi have. In fact, Jackson is the only one that has that kind of an ordinance. Um, And, you know, it's sort of some of the other things can sort of flow from there. Um, So, for example, um, what kinds of policies do cities have in terms of dealing with their city employees? Do they have non-discrimination policies for city employees? And, you know, unfortunately, just too many of the cities in Mississippi don't have these protections right now.
2: A lot of these cities in Mississippi, a lot of these cities that were looked at are not relatively large cities compared to the rest of the nation. Mm -hmm. You know, is that something that can be taken into consider when, when looking at something like this?
7: Yeah, I think that's a really important point, that um, we certainly, we rate cities as large as New York City and as small as Rehoboth Beach. Um, and the difference, population difference between those two cities is approximately 8 million people. So, I mean, we do rate cities of all sizes um, all around the country. And I think it's important to note that actually um, the largest group of uh, of cities that we rate are, in fact, smaller cities, cities that have less than 100,000 people. Um, so, while certainly um, there may be some aspects of the scorecard that might be harder for cities that are small, we try to build enough flexibility into the scorecard that we make sure that all cities, no matter what their size, um, are able to uh, score 100 points. And not only is that theoretically possible, but we in fact do have small cities that have scored 100 points um, this year and years previous.
2: So you've mentioned Jackson a couple times. What is yeah. something that Jackson is doing well that is, that is promoting equality among LGBTQ uh, people?
7: Well, here's something that Jackson did really well. They passed a non-discrimination ordinance earlier this year that protects people from discrimination on the basis of their sexual orientation and gender identity, among other things, in employment, housing, and places of public accommodation. Um, that is a best practice ordinance. There are more than 100 uh, similar ordinances around the country, in addition to the states that have those laws as well. Um, and so it's a best practice ordinance, but it is it is unique in Mississippi. Um, so uh, that is really tremendously important important. And that is really the bedrock for, um, for for us to be able to say that this is a city that is doing this work. Um, they want to make sure that their LGBTQ um, community is included and not afraid um, to be who they really are when they're in Jackson. And that's a really, really important thing.
4: MPB's Paul Boger with Catherine Oakley of the Human Rights Campaign on a new report examining Mississippi cities and their laws affecting LGBT citizens. Up next, a health minute from Dr. Rick DeShazo on hair loss. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: In three California cities, voters are being asked to add a tax to sugary drinks. And Big Soda is spending heavily for no votes. At the end of the day, this is a
2: money grab, plain and simple.
1: The tobacco industry playbook has been adopted in its entirety by the sugar drink industry.
3: I'm Kelly McEvers. The soda tax fight later on All Things Considered from NPR News.
5: Today at 4
4: on NPB Think Radio. This election year has been unpredictable. It can be hard to keep track of what's true and what's not. But NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day.
7: Thomas and friends are pulling into the station. Don't miss the opportunity to meet everyone's favorite number one blue engine and enjoy a special show and meet and greet event. Join Thomas as he arrives at the station for a fun-filled adventure and experience timeless life lessons including discovery, friendship, and cooperation this October 29th at the Mississippi Agriculture and Forestry Museum from 9 a.m. until 2 p.m. Register now for this free event at mpbonline.org.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Hair loss can be a frustrating experience, yeah, for me, for sure. It happens to men and women equally. Fortunately, treatments are available that can help regrow hair or prevent further hair loss. In some men with androgenic alopecia, the fancy name for it, hormones related to testosterone cause hair follicles to have a shorter-than-normal growth phase, resulting in an abnormality of short and thin hair shafts. Genetics is a strong influence in hair loss in men, but the exact way has not been determined. Genetics also appear to play a role for hair loss in women, although abnormal levels of androgens in the blood can be the cause of this condition in some women too. Minoxidil or finasteride are used to treat men for male pattern balding. Minoxidil or lactone are used to treat women's hair loss. Over-the-counter minoxidil promotes hair growth by lengthening the growth phase of the hair follicles and causing more follicles to produce hair. It can be purchased without a prescription, but the treatment takes several months to use for best results. Follow the directions. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. This election year has been unpredictable, and it can be hard to keep track of what's true or not. But NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day.
3: In three California cities, voters are being asked to add a tax to sugary drinks. And Big Soda is spending heavily for no votes.
2: At the end of the day, this is a money grab, plain and
1: simple. The tobacco industry playbook has been adopted in its entirety by the sugar drink industry.
3: I'm Kelly McEvers. The soda tax fight later on All Things Considered from NPR News.
5: Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio.
4: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The death rate from cancer in, of breast cancer is Mississippi's one of the highest in the nation. According to the Centers for Disease Control, early detection, including a self-examination and mammograms, is key in keeping the disease from becoming a killer. Andrea Harrison of Homewood is a breast cancer survivor. She continues to take medication, and doctors are monitoring her health for when the cancer returns. She tells MPB's Desiree Fraser, early detection caught her cancer.
8: I went in for a routine visit with a doctor at Baptist Hospital, and he found a lump in the left breast, and he sent me down for a mammogram at the breast center, and when I got down there, he had changed it to an ultrasound. My mammogram did not show anything. Um, it showed just calcifications, So there was no cancer that showed up on the mammogram. So the ultrasound showed the cancer. On December the 1st, I had to have a biopsy. And on December the 3rd of 2014, he called and said that I was diagnosed with breast cancer. On December the 15th, I was told that we had had to have scans and everything. On December the 18th, we were told we had stage 4 cancer. It was in the liver, the bones, and the breast. And we started chemotherapy with Dr. Justin Baker. Um, we did four rounds of adriamycin and cytoxin and a bone treatment called Zometa. And after those four rounds of treatment, I went for a scan and we got a clear scan. And then we did Taxol for four more rounds. And
6: are these types of chemotherapy?
8: Types of chemotherapy. And then we did another scan, and we had a clear scan there. On May the 8th of 2015, Dr. Baker decided that he wanted to send me to um, UMMC, to the medical mall to see Dr. Kraft, and she took over my case from there. Um, She decided that I needed to stay on my Zometa and keep going with the scans, but I also needed to have radiation. And so, doctors Mangana, they brought me in and treated me with radiation in three different areas, and I currently am taking tamoxifen, and I still have to have my bone treatment. And we are up to date on our scans, and we are still having a clear scan to this day, thank goodness.
6: That's a lot. In a short span of time, what did they initially tell you your survival rate was?
8: Nobody gave me a survival rate. It was basically, it's not when it comes back, it's not if it comes back, it's when it comes back, Miss Harrison. I never was given, you know, a nobody told me this is what your survival rate's going to be. You know, if it's coming comes back, it's going to come back, if, you know, it's when it comes back. And as long as I take my tamoxifen, I'm okay. You know, I I try to, sur- you know, make the best of what I can and go through the day, um, I do have days where I want to quit, but I have two children that I have to look at. But then, I, you know, I think back to myself, well, I can't quit. I have the kids I have to, I have to go for for them. I have to survive for them, and that's, that's my whole purpose. You know, I, I could quit any time I wanted to. I could have quit the first day, but my survival rate depends on me, how far I want to take it, how far I'm going to go. Dr. Mangana, Dr. Kraft, they've all been wonderful. But, you know, they can't give me an estimate of how long, you know, I'm going to be here. Nobody really knows.
6: When you were diagnosed, that would mean you were 29?
8: I was 29 when I was diagnosed. What crossed your mind? I was scared. I thought in my head, I can't have breast cancer. I'm only 29 years old. I have two children that need a mama. I have a husband that needs a wife. There's no way on earth that I can have breast cancer. I was terrified, and I didn't know what else to do. I just cried and cried, but, you know, my husband, he said, we're going to get through with it, through it. My mother-in-law, she said, we're going to get through it. You're going to be fine, and we've, we've come a long ways since 2014.
6: How are you feeling?
8: I'm doing good. I have good days and I have bad days, but I have more good days than I do bad days.
6: Now, do you have to eat a special diet or how do you take care of your nutritional needs and that kind of thing?
8: Oh, I eat everything. <laughs> I um I mainly stick to like vegetables and meats and things like that. I'm not a big, you know, dessert eater. Occasionally I may, but, but
6: you can have what you what you want pretty much
8: can't I can have what I want you know when I was on chemotherapy a lot of things made me sick so I didn't eat a whole lot but now I've built my appetite back up so I can pretty much eat what I want to they don't tell me what I can and can't eat unless they think that it's not healthy for me I'm sure they then they would say oh you don't eat that.
4: MPB's Desiree Fraser with Andrea Harrison of Homewood, a breast cancer survivor. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Before we leave you, I just want to remind you that tonight, MPB Think Radio will carry the final presidential debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. It starts at 8 o'clock. You can also go to mpbonline.org for NPR's fact-checking throughout the debate. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Money Talks in Legal Terms and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio.